a bohemian artist mom that took me traveling with her all over the world and read Shakespeare to me from the time I was three years old as a bedtime story. And it was lots of love, lots of passion, also lots of fighting and lots of hating on each other between my parents. And then in 1995, my father shot and killed my mother. And then within a month, moved in with my aunt and then married, tying in entertainment and drama and all that. And I felt so alone. I realized that Shakespeare's character of Hamlet lived through something like I did, his father being killed by his uncle and then his uncle marrying his mother. And so when I couldn't speak because I felt so damaged, it was that full circle moment of I knew someone in history must have experienced what I did and that made me feel better. And it's part of the reason I share so openly about my story. And of course, in Hamlet, it's about death and destruction and revenge, but my life story, my life's work since then has been about the power of forgiveness. one person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. Happy Independence Day, everyone. This is an interesting episode to be airing on Independence Day weekend. It is all about breaking free from our story, even if it is completely 100% true, real, scary, awful, could send a person completely traumatized in their life. The story you're about to hear is is pretty much unbelievable. Uh, I thought when I had my first guest on, Azim Kamisa, that it was one of the most horrific things I'd ever heard, and, and, it, and it was. But I honestly felt that it really could not be matched. And in no way am I taking away from the absolute sheer horrifying nature of his story when I say that this story that belongs to Brenda Edelman is quite horrific in its own way. It doesn't shock me that both Brenda, who you're about to hear, and Azim have been on the same panel before in Southern California speaking about the end of youth violence and violence in general and forgiveness. I am so honored to know both of their stories, call them both friends, and to share this story with you today. I hope that you get so much out of it, and if it moves you, that you will share it with someone who really is going through a difficult time and could use the inspiration. Brenda has created a beautiful curriculum, which is in her ebook that you will hear about later on in the program. All of our listeners get to have a copy of it for free if you just email her at brenda at forgivenessandfreedom.com. She's so generous. She offered that to all of you. And it's a Kindle book. Inside of the book, not only will you find her story in much more detail than what you'll hear today, but also a workbook to help you find the forgiveness inside of your heart. And before I go on, I want to remind everyone that I have a brand new workshop online called Speak My Magic. If you go to speakmymagic.com, I just started one for women only. Sorry, fellas. Anyone who identifies as a woman is welcome to come into the class. It's Speak My Magic for Women. It's on Facebook and also live on Zoom um, a few times a month, and it's already begun with a bang. There's fireworks. I'm trying to really play up the July 4th uh, themes, but I think you'll really enjoy it. 
I am starting one for teens online as well as in person. And if you'd like for me to come out to wherever you live, uh, it's possible we can arrange that. I am really enjoying teaching this curriculum of meditate and create. Meditate, get in touch with your story, and then release it into the world so that you can release the story and gleam all the lessons from it and hopefully have the audience gleam as well. Brenda Edelman, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to dive in with you and learn about your story. I'm wearing a spiritual gangster shirt because just hearing a little bit about your story has made me get prepared for today. I already know you're a spiritual gangster. You have done amazing things with your story and you do something that I, I teach my students which I know you also teach your students, which is you created art from pain and yep. challenging moments. So what I'd love to do is just learn a little bit about you from when you knew you were an artist. Well, as a little girl, my mom used to take me to Broadway shows and she used to take me like backstage to the back door to meet like, I mean, literally I started going when I was like three years old and I, I saw greats like Carol Channing and Ethel Merman, big divas, and they were so funny. I do remember also seeing Fiddler on the Roof, and I remember being so mesmerized and then going to the back door and seeing that one of the teenage daughters was like a 30-year-old woman and being like, oh my God, the stage is so magical. You can be any, you know, any age and anyone. My mom signed me up for some tap dancing and singing school in Manhattan. Uh, she dropped my friend and I off. It was such an adventure. We performed in Carnegie Recital Hall at like 10 years old. So that was really magical. My mother really just was so different. She was an artist. She was a painter and a photographer. And so I just was exposed to the theater. And then in high school, I think like many girls, I kind of lost my power and got really shy. So I stayed in production and, you know, stage crew and stuff like that But I, and bands. But I always really loved acting so much. So I was studying productions too in college. And then in college, I went to Vienna. My brother was, he had written and directed a play. And so I stayed on to assist stage manage that. And then there were some uh, openings. And so I started acting and I was bitten by the bugs. So when I went back to New York City, I got into Meisner training and I, um, I just realized, oh my God, I can express my emotions, you know, because growing up in Brooklyn, talking about spiritual gangster, it was like, oh no, no, you know, you got to be tough. And I hear I was on stage expressing everything and it was such a freedom. I just loved it so much. When I developed a one woman show based on my life story, it was in that moment that I realized everything had prepared me for that. Like being an actress had prepared me to be able to channel my feelings and even get into healing, playing the characters of my story, being the biggest enemy, my father. If I'm playing him as a character, because I play like 12 characters in my show, I can't play him as a villain. It can't be one-sided. People don't play themselves as villains. So that was another level of healing for me, jumping into his character. So I grew up in Brooklyn with a Jewish wannabe Italian father who taught me how to drive a Cadillac at six and how to shoot a gun at 10. A bohemian artist mom that took me traveling with her all over the world and read Shakespeare to me from the time I was three years old. There's a bedtime story and it was lots of love, lots of passion, also lots of fighting and lots of hating on each other between my parents. And then in 1995, my father shot and killed my mother and then within a month moved in with my aunt and then married T tying in entertainment and drama and all that and I felt so alone I realized that Shakespeare's character of Hamlet lived through something like I did his father being killed by his uncle and then his uncle marrying his mother and so when I couldn't speak because I felt so damaged 
it was that full circle moment of I knew someone in history must have experienced what I did and that made me feel better. And it's part of the reason I share so openly about my story. And of course, in Hamlet, it's about death and destruction and revenge. But my life story, my life's work since then has been about the power of forgiveness. Beautiful. You speak so beautifully. It's like each answer is a speech. I love it. You were very there for your parents. You're an only child. I have an older brother. We have different fathers. We were brought up like we were just brother and sister. He's five years older. And you move out, you said at 30, and you Mm -hmm. say, I'm going to LA. Yeah, I fell in love. And it just so happened he lived in LA. And you move there to be with this fiance. What happens? You come home from this beautiful day in LA, being an actor, taking classes on how to get into show business more and what happened. <laughs> and that was the weekend. I'm like, that's it. I am going after my dream. I can do it. I took this workshop where I'm like, how do I get my career going in LA? And I get home and my fiance tells me that he got a call from my father. My father said there was an accident and my mother's dead. Hmm. I just remember, you know, collapsing to the floor. I had just seen my parents two weeks before they were in LA visiting me. And I just spoken to them on Wednesday of that week. I called my father, you know, the police answered and they told me I couldn't talk to him, that they were questioning him on the lawn. And then I flew back to New York the next day. Wow. And what was your first thought that there was an accident? Did you think it was premeditated? Because you said your dad was sort of like a wannabe Italian mafia gangster. So these are your words. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Honestly, the first thought I had was he did it. Mm. But then I covered it up, um, partly because guns were always a part of my family. And uh, when I was around 15 or something, one of the three times they separated, my mother said he put a gun to her head. Mm. And when they got back together, I thought she must be lying because why would you go back to someone who did that? Mm. But I remember that because, you know, you hear something like that when you're a kid. It's not like it ever leaves you. You know, there were other clues only in hindsight because you don't believe something like that is going to happen. But there were there were clues. And their guns were a big part of the house. Of course, we thought they were toys. We would go target shooting. You know, they were toys until they weren't. Does this make you sort of anti-gun or more pro? Uh, I'm not anti-gun. I'm anti-mental illness. Someone with mental illness having a gun. But how do you check that? My father was a very successful businessman. Was that one registered? Maybe. I don't know. When we would go target shooting, I I mean, I was a teenager going into places that didn't check anything. So it takes about a year for your dad to get into jail. And where are you mentally during this time? Even though I can't imagine you being pleased about it, were you a little bit relieved that he was finally getting his quote unquote come up in? So I was completely in despair and depressed and I loved him so much. I wasn't even in, in shock. I wasn't even in a state of oh, good, he's going to prison. I think I was more, I didn't even know about the death penalty. I didn't know anything. Like I was not aware of anything. So I didn't know knew that wasn't a possibility. Like I just remember thinking I wouldn't want anything terrible to happen to my father. And I hated him for what he did so much. So it was, wasn't pleasant to be in my head. <laughs> um, and that's where a lot of my writing came from though. Once I finally took all the thoughts in my head of I hate him, I love him, I hate him, I love him. How could he do this? I just want my father back. Why can't I get an answer? You know, I took all that writing and when I started writing it onto the pages of my journal during my sleepless night is when my healing started. You said that you went through this period of just like writing to him over and over again. Did you do it? Did you not tell me the story? Even if you're not going to tell the courts the truth, I want to hear it. And you sort of, what goes through your head? What do you 
it sounds like you started to see maybe he he does suffer from you know psychopathic issues or narcissistic I don't think I really I don't think I realized that yet I didn't know about it enough because I was still pleading and talking to him as if he thinks like me like only in my study of narcissism and I know people don't like labels but if you actually study and understand the tendencies or understand what a sociopath is or they don't have he didn't have the empathy he didn't have the reason to tell me anything because he couldn't feel my pain or really even understand it and I also under you know I definitely understand in hindsight why would he tell me it's not like anything he could say told me would have been good it was only when I realized he was a narcissist that I was free I didn't have to any longer be like well, can't you see how important this is for me to have closure but I did write him over and over and he'd write me back and be like bet you look beautiful how's your life and I'd be like, tell me what happened, you know, and he'd ignore it. And then, you know, a year after, it was just so much pain for me because I'd have this hope, like he's going to tell me the truth. And then it would be this superficial letter back that I said, you know, don't write me back unless you answer my questions. And I really, really like the inner child in me was like, he's going to write me back. It's going to be okay. I can't have my mother back, but he's going to tell me. And instead he stopped writing and that was really devastating. And it's my one woman show, which is called my Brooklyn Hamlet. Um, I'm a a true story. Um, <laughs> I actually, it's a very New York story, but then I have like five soliloquies from Hamlet when the emotions are too much. And that's one of them. Like when he doesn't write me back, I'm so devastated because I think he's going to give me the answer I need. Oh, that this too, too solid flesh would melt, thaw, and resolve itself into a dew, or that the everlasting had not fixed its cannon against self-slaughter. I love that you've, you've become so Shakespearean when you say it. It's, it's so cool to hear a Brooklyn girl say Shakespeare. <laughs> and I'm just really impressed. Like, you know, you're talking about this like you're telling a crazy story that happened in Brooklyn once. You're, you've done so much inner work on it. I know what it's like to do a one-woman show about your past and heal from it. And I got to a point after I did oh. Barb so many times that I couldn't do it anymore. Uh, it's it's called Find, Finding Barb. It was a, it was actually a two-person, four-puppet musical. And we went on tour with it. And it was mounted in LA a few times. It was an off-Broadway show. And, and it was amazing until it was too... I couldn't do it anymore. I did it so much that it hurt when I would do it. And huh. I've learned so much about um, releasing the past that I just, I just can't do it anymore. I, I do have a, a screenplay of it. And I would love to make it into a movie. I shot a trailer for it. Um, that's like 25 scenes long and I'm still pitching it. It's a process. It's a process I teach to my storytelling students because the very first time I put my show up, it was before I got my master's in spiritual psychology and that program completely shifted my life. I did it because I had to tell my story. People would laugh and people would cry. And then I would go home and be absolutely devastated and like, what the hell am I doing? So I took time off after that first production, finished my master's in spiritual psychology. At the same time, what I love about the one-person show format or the show format is that you can write things into existence. So that the ending of the first show was, will I ever be able to love and trust again? And I swear, it's like I wrote it into, into my life because I was, and then I created a family and then I be, was able to trust again. But I, I took, you know, I finished my master's program, took a few years off 
rewrote like the ending of my life, took my dad to court, and then the show came back to me and I wrote it again and it was more powerful. I've done 20 years now of inner work. College, I went to shamans, I went to healers, I went to therapy, I went to acupuncture. Like I did everything I could to feel better and to find joy again. I had to figure out a way for it to be fully uplifting for the audience, but also for myself. I was doing the show in Sedona, working with this director. And she kept giving me the note right before we're opening of louder in the beginning, louder. And I'm a trained actor. I know how to breathe with my diaphragm. And I just couldn't do it. And then she said to me, I think it's your inner child because the first part of your show is really quiet. And that's when you'd have a voice. And so knowing the work that I do, I was backstage and I'm like, okay, talking to my inner child. I'm like, we're going to have fun. We're going to have a place for you to play and for you to share and for you to have your voice. And it significantly changed the experience of my show. After that, it was like that part of me was healed and integrated. Another layer of it that it's a give and take with the audience. I'm not just giving, giving, giving. So I'm not depleted. So it's really a building up. And then to be completely honest with my family, before I did all the inner work, I would reveal that I was so depressed. I wanted to kill myself, but I wouldn't want to really go there because I wanted to take care of the audience and make them laugh in the next moment. And of course that keeps me stuck in them. So now I take them where they need to go because people are sitting in the audience having been through those things. And so by going that deep, but healed, I'm healthy. I'm taking them there and then I'm giving the experience of coming to the other side. And like, I have a very powerful forgiveness ceremony that I do on stage as well. So that when I do the show, I do it consciously. And um, I always set an intention. Can I learn something more about my family tonight so that it's fresh? But I have had times where it can be work. Like if you're doing five days a week, it's work. Mm -hmm. It's like, I love to do this and it's work where I'll then take time off because it's my life story, which maybe you'll do because sure. it's your life story and you know you help people. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. And give it when you're ready, you make sure you're completely strong and then you give it as a gift again to people. I've always wanted it to be cinematic. So I think that's the next step for it. But I do yeah. cabaret shows all the time. During this year, I've been doing them uh, in my home on Zoom and Instagram and Facebook live. And is it storytelling too? Are you yeah, like for sure. your story? Yeah. Oh, cool. I also am a comedian, but I love cabaret because you can, I can do impressions. I can sing silly songs. And you're an amazing singer. That's what I heard. I'm like, Oh my God. Thank you. I love singing uh, because for me, so much gets packed into the lyrics and the music and the rhythm. And so I love just being able to do everything. I love, I, I found standup. I don't know if you felt this way too, since you're also a writer of, you know, bigger productions that I felt that it was too limiting. It was like, Oh yeah. Funny, 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 stop. Funny, funny, funny. And it was too much right. for me. Like I just, I wanted to be able to cry and make people laugh and, and laugh myself and, you know, tell a really important piece of wisdom and, and, and have the audience with me the whole time, as opposed to just trying to make them laugh all the time. It was too much. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I took a stand-up class in LA and I did some stand-up because I wanted to see how to bring humor to my story. But the funny part is I couldn't in that context of that format, I, I did uh, something else about my sexuality instead, but, but um, it, it, <laughs> oh, helped inform, it, <laughs> it helped inform me um, you know, and there's definitely a place to write jokes within material, but like you, I want the, re like my humor is ironic. Like I have a lot of humor, but it's not in the show. It's, I mean, here and there, there's a, a line, but it's more like, think about this. 
here you go, you know? Um, and then I have to give the audience permission to laugh. Like, <laughs> it's okay. You know, you know, you've healed something when, when they can laugh, but, um, yeah, cabaret sounds wonderful. You know, it That's is so wonderful. wonderful. It's a beautiful art form that, um, I hope continues after we get to be live performance again. Um, and it's something that when people would come to see me for the first time, they'd never been to cabaret before they'd say, this is so cool. Like I've never, I want to do this again. And I always feel that cabaret is sort of like the church of Broadway where it's like so Mm -hmm. intimate. You strip away all the great costumes and all the sets and all the lighting Mm -hmm. and you literally sit in the dark with somebody else and they hold your hand and they take you on a journey and you cry. Everybody cries in cabaret. How did you find a way to forgive both of your parents, your mother who went back to a, a guy who, literally could have killed her um, did. and well we don't I guess you even said before you don't know for certain but you feel like I'm pretty sure, sure. Okay. if he didn't if he didn't hold the trigger he hired the person you know or something oh, I'm so sorry it's so hard to talk about this like I feel like I'm asking you questions like did you order the turkey or the tuna but you're you're dealing with it so well that it's like because I, I know my listeners are gonna be like, but wait, what's the story? No, How does no, so let me just let me just say I have been speaking on this, coaching on on forgiveness since 2005. I've been speaking, doing keynotes, doing my show, doing talkbacks since 2005 too, around there. And I've spoken to women prisoners, youth at risk, domestic violence coalition. So yes, so you're speaking. I, I believe me, if there was something that was inappropriate, I'd be like. The reason I have done such deep work is because I want to be able to answer questions. I want to be able to not be triggered when someone says something because I do. I was performing one time and I did a a talk back afterwards and I had literally just changed a couple of lines in my show where I added that I needed to forgive my mother too. Like it was always just my father, but it was part of my healing. And this woman raises her hand. She's like, why would you have to forgive your mother? And I I had to forgive her. The model she set for me of how it's okay to be mistreated by someone who says they love you. And you could just see, you know, here's the thing. You you get to know people. Like you could just see on her face that victim mentality. And if you live in that, you're going to live a life where you don't have as much joy as you could. You were forgiving at least three people and if you will, four entities. Number one, you're forgiving your father for, like you just said, you 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 believe that he is to blame for the actual death of your mother. Yeah. You're forgiving your mother for, as you said, knowingly going back to someone who told you that someone held a gun, that person held a gun to her head three times. And then you have to forgive yourself because clearly you were enmeshed with them for 30 some odd years, if not more so, even if by, by the way, the phone and you leave. And what is it? 10 months later, this happened. Sure. That came up for you. I was, I was a parentified child. It's like a technical term for my sister and I were always solving our parents' issues. And, you know, two months after I leave for college, my dad leaves. I always had that unconscious guilt Guilt. for leaving. Right. And then the fourth entity is God. Because, yeah. you know, what, whether you want to call it God or not, but the, the, this divine yeah. power that created all of you, mm-hmm. how could God, he, she, it, whatever you want to call it, the force, put these two people together, create someone mm-hmm. as magical and beautiful as you, only to want, uh, kind of want to hate everybody? How did you find the strength and the courage to forgive all of these entities? And you're just so right on the money. It shows where your consciousness is. Because I have a course called Phoenix Rising. The first week is forgiving yourself, 
Second week is forgiving your mother. Third week is forgiving your father. And fourth week is forgiving God. I could not forgive my father until I forgive myself. Or I could only forgive him to the level that I could forgive myself. I kind of feel like that's like love. You can only love someone as much as you love yourself. Ah, and so I... Statement. So true. Giving the judgments of ourselves or the judgments we hold in ourselves. So I forgave myself for judging myself as trusting my father. Like I thought I should have seen something. I should have saved someone. I forgave myself for not catching it sooner. Like I forgave myself for loving my father and then realizing, of course, I'd love him. He's my father. And I had a, I mean, I had a really good relationship with my father because I don't know if people know about narcissists, but <laughs> when you're with one, if you're the apple of their eye, they elevate you. They make you feel amazing. So the good part is that I had that when I was growing up. So I had this innate feeling of self-love that a lot of people that didn't have something as traumatic happen to them, they don't have that inner knowing that they're lovables. I chose not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I, I didn't say, well, none of that was true. Like someone else might be like, well, he didn't really love me. And it's like, you know, I, I, I learned to embrace that love that was there and not throw all of that away. I had to embrace my anger. I kept trying to just bypass it because we're taught you have to forgive you have to forgive but people don't really tell you how to do it or why you should do it and then growing up uh, you know being a nice girl and then you have you know you're supposed to not be like that towards your parents so I actually think it was look, I have a Kindle book with my three-step process I feel like I stayed as depressed as I did because I did not embrace my anger I kept just kind of compartmentalizing the healthy release of anger would be either going to a therapist going to an anger person or like for me a lot of freeform writing which is just like writing everything out on the pages of my journal without thinking and then lighting it on fire and never rereading it because otherwise that anchors the energy back in it was really important and I was in the master's program so I would have to do these processes for like 30 days at a time so I probably did three to six months of it but that's really effective but not indulging not staying in the story with the intention of, okay, I'm going to let something go to. I think sometimes people stay in the anger instead of having that next step, which is you must let it go and you must not reread it and stay in it. That really helps me release it. And then the other thing was taking him to court, like actually knowing what a healthy boundary was the other thing that helped me. And I did that from a place of self-honor, not hatred. With God, I think how I was able to forgive God. Actually, I had a direct experience with God. I, I didn't really have a relationship with God when I was growing up. We weren't religious, even though we were Jewish. I had a direct experience, literally not being able to sleep at night. I just had, I, I would hear something. I was mixed up. Was it God? Was it my mother? I wasn't sure because I was so close with my mother. I felt her presence the moment she was gone. And, uh, I just, all of a sudden, I started listening and kind of having a white light that I would see and everything would start to feel peaceful and calm. So I had this experience with God for, for quite a while. And then as far as intellectually forgiving God, I think what I learned and what really resonated for me was that I chose my parents. Like I choose to make it that I made this choice. It's not like life has happened to me, that this is all some divine play. And what are the good things that I could learn? Well, I learned passion. I learned creativity. I learned different things from them. And I choose to believe that everything happens for a reason because that, that makes me not a victim to it. Those are the kind you of You are things. so strong. I'm just sitting here intellectually listening. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. That's logical. And then my heart starts to open because I'm an empathetic person. And I think anyone else who had these circumstances happen to them 
would not be a functional human being. My first guest, Azim Kamisa, please listen to the episode. I know him. Okay. I've worked on it. I mean, I've went to right. on a panel with him. So you know, I mean, he forgave the murderer of his 20-year-old son. And the reason yeah. I chose him to be our first guest is because I never thought there'd be anything more devastating to forgive until I heard your story. They're both, you can't really compare devastation. It's just not. It's like saying, what's Oh, yeah, but it's- Someone it, coming yeah, out of the Holocaust no, or a, a little kid that grows up in Nigeria that has no food. It's like, they're both right. horrific situations. Um, but I just, just hearing you share, it's like, you have done so much work. You have like a gold medal in forgiveness. And I want to circle back to something you just said. You know, when I created this um, podcast, it wasn't to just get everybody to forgive no matter what. Um, I do believe in forgiveness and I struggled with anger for a really long time towards people who hurt me um, and certain things that were sort of taken away from me as a child that, you know, I really suffered from for a long time. And so when I found forgiveness and I realized how simple it was, it wasn't easy, but it was simple to let go. I thought I, if there's one thing I want to teach the whole wide world, this is it. And so it was like, duh, let's make a podcast about it. I also have no problem literally walking up to anybody and asking them the deepest questions about their life. It's just who I am. It's not to get fame or fortune or to be cool. I literally- No, I'm exactly like you. I know. Because of what we lived through. And then you're a creative on top of it. That's why when I saw, when I watched that podcast, I'm like, oh my God. And then I watched some of your stuff. I'm like, oh my God, she's also so much like me. Yeah. Very much, very <laughs> similar soul. We're probably from the same soul group, but you know, I just love people and I find people fascinating. And especially stories like this, where you come out of the most horrific of events and you're just- I wouldn't say unscathed because that's not fair. I would say you turned it into wisdom. You took the charcoal yeah. and you you made it into a diamond. And I want to really highlight with my highlighter what you just said, which is you can't just forgive because it's the right thing to do or it's the logical thing to do healing wise. You have to do the work. You have to embrace the anger, channel it, do something with it because I don't want people to listen to this and say, oh, there she goes again, or, you know, another episode about how someone, you know, forgave this awful thing. It's not just forgiveness. It's literally sitting through the pain, figuring out what the wisdom is, just like you did, finding the beauty in both of your parents, seeing them as 3D or 5D individuals that gave you so much. And also, it sounds like we haven't gotten there yet, but sort of owning that your soul was on this very advanced level to experience these circumstances. I mean, clearly you were chosen to grow through them. And um, the other thing I want to say is that your story of not being able to sleep and hearing a voice reminds me a little bit of King David, who we know wrote all the Psalms, right? Tehillim in Hebrew. So, you know, there's over a hundred of these little poems, if you will. And they're all really beautiful. And some of them are just jarring the way that he talks about his feelings and how people are coming after him. And yes, he did live through some wars and people were trying to kill him. But if you actually listen or, or dig deep into the words of them, um, I, I took a class on him and I was really relieved to find out that not all of the things that he wrote about happened to him. They actually 
were, he would get, he supposedly had like bipolar disorder or something of, I mean, I don't even know if I believe in these terms anymore, whatever. He would be like up and down you can see it through the pages. Right. And he would run to the window in the middle of the night, couldn't sleep. He'd open up the window and stick his head out, pray to God. And the, you can call it ghosts, demons, spirits of people who had passed on would kind of jump inside of him and he would Mm -hmm. feel their feelings and all of their words. And then he would write them down. And when I wrote my children's book for adults and then one day the world copped, I know I've talked about it so much on the podcast, but that's exactly what happened to me. I, I was having a really hard time sleeping during the second week of the pandemic. And I I usually don't have sleep issues. I thank God, like I, I have a nighttime routine and I meditate, but I jumped out of bed and I said, God, why am I not being able to sleep? Like what's, cause I, it was so hard to be in New York at the oh, time. Oh, I couldn't sleep in the beginning either. Oh my God. I mean, who could, especially for those of us who have that empathetic ability, I was feeling the world, right? And I was feeling what what's my responsibility as an educator, as an artist, how, how do I reflect how to get through this? Because we have an obligation to use this brain you know, to overcome everything. And so, cause that's all we can do, right? Herman Wook, like, you know, we, they can take away anything from us except this, like our brain, we, we have to be able to use it for good. So I said, God, what's going on here? And then in 45 minutes, all the pages were written and it's this like beautiful story about like the blessings of COVID. Um, so I'm not here to toot my own horn. I'm just, I'm really just fascinated by how you let yourself Get in touch with your Well, I want to say something on that. I want to say something on that. So at the same time, but this is when when my mom died, I I couldn't sleep. And when I changed from thinking things in my head to writing them down, I wrote 100 poems in 30 days. I'd never owned poems before. And then one of those poems became the first scene for my one-person show. So it was very much channeled like that. That's amazing. So what would you like the entire world to know if anyone has ever been through a situation where one, I mean, let's, let's break down all the things that happened to you. Your parents had a (laughs) horrific marriage. They, that sounds like there was domestic abuse and violence since you were little, there were always guns in the house. Um, Your dad was a sociopath. Sounds like a narcissist. Um, Your mom gets killed most likely by your father And your dad leaves, uh, is able to only go to jail for two and a half years and then marries your mom's marries your mom's sister. And then you don't ever see him or your aunt again. And you have to reconcile all of this. If anyone listening has had even a portion of one of those things happen to them, what would you tell them? What is your advice for them? Well, definitely, I would say you're stronger than you think. I would say you have an opportunity to flood yourself with self-love, that you don't need anything from a parent or anyone who has hurt you, that if you continue to search for something from them, and I'm sorry, or anything, you're setting yourself up to be dependent on them. And your, your good comes from within yourself, from your connection to spirit, God, to surround yourself by people with a high vibe, that are not victims to life, but there's a place to be a victim, like get it out, get that anger out, get everything out in a healthy way and then move on or else it will leak out into the rest of your life and the rest of your relationships. And uh, ultimately it's about 
self-love and that forgiveness obviously is for the person doing it. You never have to see the person again. I forgave my father and I took him to court for wrongful death and they never saw him again. Um, it's a qual it's forgiveness is like a quality of sweetness that takes over the part of your heart that's been closed with unforgiveness. Oh, I love that. Say that again. I don't even know what I said. Um, <laughs> but it is, it's like this quality of sweetness that takes over the part of your heart that's been closed, not only to the person who's hurt you or betrayed you, but to yourself. I love it. Okay. And so now let's move on to the next part. So you found love. How did, how did that happen? <laughs> well, this is going to be a good story though. I don't know how much longer we have. Um, uh, well, what happened was, so I broke up with my fiance. I really honestly think I broke up with him. He was with me during the whole time with my mother dying. I think I broke up with him. Like we had surface issues, but it was because I was so devastated. I felt so unlovable. I felt so damaged. And I just could not be, I couldn't be witnessed in that place, even though he was loving. But I also feel like since I do believe everything happens for a reason, I needed to be alone. I needed to be so devastatingly lonely and alone that I couldn't lean on anyone. And I had to find the power within myself. And that's a mouthful and so important. Beautifully said. (laughs) There's some tweetables in here. (laughs) And so definitely um, it was. I I was in that master's program and I was working on self-love and realizing I wanted to meet a partner and I wanted them instead of like looking for someone who had qualities that would complete me, which doesn't work. I started really admiring qualities about myself. I was like, oh, I have humor. I want to meet someone like this and that. So here's the funny part though. I was straight and in, in that ideal scene, I didn't write it how to be a man. <laughs> And so I fell in love with women in my class. And so she was already in the master's program too. So we had a lot of, we could communicate really well. And we ended up being together for, uh, it's so funny you're asking, I literally just got engaged two days ago to my boyfriend now. But so I was with Dana for 13 years. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. I rang two days ago. Yeah, it's pretty amazing because I, I, uh, so I had the relationship with Dana I will say this, that I clearly must have been bi. I didn't know because I really loved men. But I do know that because of what happened with my father, I was very much like one red flag and boom, that person was out of my life with men. And I know with with my ex-wife, I was more open because it was a woman. Like this is all unconscious at the time. It's only in stuff I was thinking about afterwards. So I'm really grateful that I was able to have my heart open and be able to have that relationship. We ended up adopting a foster child together. So I have a son as well. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we broke up in 2015, kind of a hard breakup. She left. And, uh, and then I would still, you know, still not ready. And then while the pandemic was going on, I, mean, I was dating. And then when the pandemic, and I've been dating men since we broke up. And then during the pandemic, um, I was with a boyfriend that I wasn't, he won't hopefully he won't hear this that it just it wasn't the one he just wasn't the one and I was on my my mental health bike rides I would call them during the pandemic and I was you know talking to God and I kept getting to break up with him even though he was a good guy but that I wasn't in love with and so I broke up with him and I you know I didn't date and I was just you know with myself and meditating and then one day I was like I really am ready to meet someone that I want to spend my life with I'm ready. I wasn't ready. And then lo and behold, 
Wilman and I started dating and then he surprised me with a ring two days ago. His name is Woman? Yeah, Wilman. Wilman. I thought you said woman and I. I'm like, but I thought it was a guy. No. Okay, Wilman. No, <laughs> that would be funny. His name is Woman <laughs> and I love him like a woman. Uh, that's awesome. Amazing. Wow. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, so, but I feel like that it was a declaration to the universe that I'm ready, not in a like, oh, I want to meet someone because I feel very much like we need to be whole and complete on our own. But I also do love being in a loving relationship. And, you know, the last few years I've been dating, but I I was just not ready to jump back in. Wow. You know? Yeah. Amazing. So it's taken you about 20 years to recover, but it seems in a way like you're only 20 because it's like you had a rebirth. And so 20 years old, yeah. if that's a good time to like, <laughs> I like I'm, it. <laughs> I'm a fan of Joe Dispenza. Um, I went to his oh, I love recently and I love that he says, he always says this and it's so, it's so soothing for me that uh, anyone listening who is still trying to figure out when things are going to happen. It's like, it's really none of our business when it happens. You know, I have all these uh, family members and friends who are like, why don't you have a kid on your own? And why aren't you doing this? And why, why aren't you married yet? And what's wrong with you? And, uh, you know, and they're, they're just frustrated because they want to have for me what I want to have for me. And I'm like, I let go of the timeline. Why can't you? That's what my, my whole one woman show was oh, about yeah. that. Like having a timeline and how damaging it can be. But if you just oh, like, yeah. release the time, then yeah, how wonderful is it when it just shows up? It's like, oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Welcome. And it was like, it was like a miracle with him. Like I would have never, but I listened, I listened to that inner voice that told me to break up with the other person. Oh, a lot of people sure. said, or a lot of people, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And it was, I, I was, I broke off an engagement and I remember the whole time I was with him, he was such a good guy. There was nothing really wrong with him. Um, but I felt like when I would explain to people why, which when you're really in love with someone, you never, I, I, I would imagine you don't say why you're marrying somebody. You, you just, you just are period. Right. And yes, I would say, yes. he's a really good guy. He has all these boxes checked and you know, it, it's going to work out. And at least I have, I would keep saying at least. And it was like, I would oh, want wow. someone to marry me because I had an at least about myself. Right. I'd want it to be, and can you, and can you believe this part and this part? And I remember going to a therapist once um, it's actually uh, Stan Tatkin he is out of LA and he's uh, Alanis Morris. That's very, very famous uh, therapist. And I, I figured if, if someone can help Alanis with her anger and not that I had <laughs> anger, but I was just, you know, maybe un unhinged by it. He said, when you really are in love with someone, you don't have to explain it. And you talk about them effusively, even if they have their issues and you say, well, they have this thing, but let me just tell you what they did. Yeah. And I'm sure it bothered him too. And I thought, you know, regardless of what this is and what we were sent to teach each other, I have to release it until I either feel this way about you or someone else comes along where I know I'm going to feel the way because it's an inner knowing, even if you haven't experienced it yet, that oh, yeah. it's not love, right? So you yeah. did him a favor and clearly yourself if you found the love of your life now. Oh my God. Yeah. And it, it's scary because you're not breaking up because someone cheated. You're not breaking up because someone, right. you know, and then you, you know, you're going to hurt the other person if you believe that you hurt another person and they're not responsible for their feelings. I mean, there's all that there's different perspectives, not being codependent and knowing you're releasing the other person to be with someone that can really love them the way they're supposed to be loved. But I just literally was like, okay, I'm ready now. 
to meet someone that I can really be in love with and want to spend my life with, but still as a commitment phobe, I have been a commitment phobe in the past, you know, and also marriage to me was not like, yay, marriage. Well, look what it represented. Look at your example. Yeah, I mean, it's always been like, so this is the first person that I'm like, since my mom died, that I'm like, I would be really excited to be with him and marry. So how do we get in touch with you? My website is forgivenessandfreedom.com. Well, I'm really big on Facebook. I'm all over Facebook. And what I was going to say for your listeners, if they want it, my book is called My Father Killed My Mother and Married My Aunt, Forgiving the Unforgivable. It has a three-step forgiveness process. It's a Kindle book, but if people want it, so it's a part memoir, has my story, and then it's part forgiveness uh workshop workbook um if your listeners want it i don't have the link i can send you the link or they can message me and say that they listen to your show and i'll give them a digital copy for free oh my gosh that's so nice okay yeah it's your email if they want to write to you brenda at forgivenessandfreedom.com forgivenessandfreedom.com well there you go guys brenda it's such a pleasure to know you and hear your story i really thought i was gonna like be whipping out the tissues and crying but I have to say, I'm just, I'm no, it's okay. I'm so elated and impressed by how strong and fervently joyful you are. I really thought it was going to be a sad day. I, I, in a good way, like a good healing cry, but it's the opposite. It's like, it's healing to have so much joy. Thanks for coming, Brenda. Here are some nuggets of wisdom from the great Brenda Edelman. Turn your pain into play. You can't just forgive because it's the right or logical thing to do. You have to embrace the anger and channel it and do something with it. Sit through the pain, find the beauty and wisdom in it, and own that your soul was on a level to experience the circumstances you were given. We as souls, beautifully encased in these things we call bodies, were given the circumstances that we were given. Anything that is not something we chose to do was God-given. I believe that. I love that Brenda said a very similar thing on the podcast, and I want you to write that down. Send it to somebody because that when I learned that studying mystical Judaism, I was like, okay, this is a game changer. Now I know how to look at life. Brenda and I both agreed that at night, we sometimes have a deeper window into our own creative process. So if you feel like you can't sleep at night, get on up out of bed, grab a pen, a piece of paper, writing utensil, get away from the computer, don't check your phone, but write, write what's in your heart. And I guarantee you'll be pleasantly surprised at something that may shoot out of it. You're stronger than you think. You have an opportunity to flood yourself with self-love. If you continue to search for love outside of yourself from those who have hurt you in the past, not all people, but the people who have continuously hurt you in the past. If you search for love from them, you may continue to be disappointed. It doesn't mean that you can't try, but allow yourself to gravitate towards those who vibrate on a higher energy level and who have proven themselves over and over again to be there for you with unconditional loving support in the past. Your love comes from the divine, from yourself, and from those around you who have continually given you love from an unconditional place. Make sure you get your anger and sadness out so that it doesn't seep into the other areas of your life. Just because Brenda and I were both proponents of letting go of your story doesn't mean that you shouldn't be in touch with it before you let it go. Definitely get in touch with it, but then find ways that are creative to channel the story and let it out.
You ever meet those people who are like, no, I'm fine. Everything's good. I'm a positive thinker. As long as I think positively, everything will be good. The problem with that way of thinking is eventually the negative voices, frustrations will catch up with you. So the point is to get in touch with them and then release them in a healthy way. This is another brilliant line. Forgiveness doesn't have to mean you'll see the person you're forgiving ever again. It is, and I'm quoting Brenda here, the quality of sweetness that takes over the pieces of your heart that have once been betrayed by someone you trusted or loved before. Brenda said that she needed to be so devastatingly lonely that she could find the love and power within herself. And I'm not encouraging people to be devastatingly lonely. However, if you find yourself at times feeling like you just keep getting let down by others outside of yourself and you feel perhaps that you're looking for love in all the wrong places, sometimes it might be a good idea. Now consult a really good friend, a therapist, a healer, a life coach, somebody that you entrust and share all of your secrets to. Uh, Check with them. I'm not a certified healer in any way, shape, or form. I'm just a person who likes to mirror people and I'm not a therapist. Definitely seek mental help when you need it uh, from a licensed professional. However, sometimes it's a really good idea to take a break, take a deep breath, and just give yourself a little bit of space, even you know, a day or two of really checking in and getting to know yourself and getting to love yourself. It is the greatest love. And I don't mean to mock these ideas with singing funny songs. I'm just, you know how I am. If you follow me on Instagram, I do love to break out into song, uh, especially when it's Whitney Houston. But the point is that I love that Brenda had the strength and the courage to really check in with herself and feel the loneliness. We, We learn in the mindfulness practice that um, I believe I learned this from John Kabat-Zinn, when you, and Thich Nhat Hanh, that when you actually start to feel into the most devastating feelings, when you start to feel into that loneliness, and, and I'm not saying, you know, to do it for hours and hours at a time. I just mean, allow yourself to feel it for a moment, you know, get in there and then notice it, get curious about it, maybe create something, write something to channel it and let it go. Not only will you find wisdom in it, but as you start to feel it, that's when it can release from you, if that makes sense. It's when we're looking to escape from it with maybe a drug or some sort of addiction that we lose the lesson. So what she was saying is she was able to disconnect from not great sources of love in her life, find the love within herself, feel that little lonely feeling, and then allow spirit in, God, whatever you want to call it, and really connect on a deeper level to herself so that she could really love herself and then therefore love someone else and find someone else who could really love her in the way that she wanted and needed to be loved. And if you heard, she said that she started admiring qualities within herself so that she could look for someone else who could appreciate those qualities or maybe even mirror them, have similar qualities in them. Funny that I'm ending this podcast on Independence Day about being interdependent, because I don't know if the point of life is to be completely independent and find love only within yourself and never really fall in love with someone else and give and exchange love with the other. I think it isn't great for humans to be alone all the time. I'm not saying that you shouldn't love yourself. I'm saying there is a balance of loving yourself and then finding so much love within yourself 
that you want to share it with other people as well and give and receive love in a healthy way. I think interdependence would be a great name for this holiday. Uh, I'm, I'm claiming this Interdependence Day. Happy Interdependence Day. May you find your independence from anything that holds you back from, God forbid, not being yourself. And may you find beautiful interdependence, not codependence, but interdependence with others in your life, whether it's romantic love, um, friends at work, people in your tribe, in your community, in your spiritual communities, that you feel an exchange of love that's so beautiful that it causes a ripple effect and Ah, this is making me cry. The entire world, because of this community that is seeing that we are all unified as one soul, that it it has a ripple effect and it affects the entire world. And whatever we're struggling with right now as a community, as a nation, as a world, through the aftermath of this global pandemic, that all the negative just gets erased because of how beautiful the light of self-love and interdependent love is. Somebody out there, say amen if you just heard that blessing. I want to wish everyone a hopeful, healthy week ahead, and may we all treasure the freedom that we have currently and, God willing, in the future. May we hold on to our rights, our laws that help protect us, the people that we love, and just always feel free in our hearts that we can always bring in more and more blessings. The more we free up our hearts, let go of anger, let go of resentment, let go of our stories in a positive, healthy way, get in touch with them, but then release them, then we can be free to welcome in more blessings, which I believe is the main reason why we're here. If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode could inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www.c1beautifulsoul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always.